advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do, but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, everyone. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's episode is with Ramey Shelton. At just 18 years old, Ramey fills important positions at Animalio Essential Oils for Animals, as well as at Beyond Sanctuary Educational Centre and Retreat. Remy has helped in many roles at Animalio, even becoming one of the youngest certified aromatherapists at just 16 years old. At Beyond Sanctuary, Remy will become the executive director and plays an important role in supervising the care of over 100 animals, large and small. Remy has a passion for photography and documents the beauty of animal rescue, even in the saddest of times. Her photography business, Beyond the Lens, is growing in popularity and skill and will be the official photographer for Animalio and Beyond Sanctuary. Remy will also be pursuing education and training in other holistic modalities to aid in the healing journey of the animals at Beyond Sanctuary. This is her story. Are you yes. sure you're just 18? Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I forget sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and you know, um, the bio that that you sent in, uh, you know, that you were certified at sixteen as an aromatherapist, you know, um, yeah. I'm like, okay, I really need to know what kind of childhood you've been having because, uh, you know, I missed that boat somehow, and I really would like to know, and I'm pretty sure there are people out there, especially parents, who who would love to have a daughter like you, you know, or we have young, you know, young listeners out there who think that, you know, um, they're too young to achieve anything. But, you know, if they know what I've seen, you know, that you're only 18. And the best part is you're 18 this year, but you've been doing this before that. So it's 16, at the age of 16, you were certified as a aromatherapist. So... You know, I don't know what your mom's been feeding you. <laughs> I don't know what's the water that you've been drinking. <laughs> My dad had to uh, blend steak and rice because I wouldn't eat baby food. And I wouldn't eat, it had to be done medium. And it had to be, it couldn't be a cheap steak either. I was so picky. So steak and rice. <laughs> no way. 
Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. This, this is, wait a minute. Hold on. I, I need to have a drink right now. <laughs> um, non-alcoholic drink here, but I, I, I <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. See, je ne sais quoi. A very, very special lady here. So, Remy, 18 years old. Uh, so, compared to a lot of other people, you're really, really, really young. But um, there is something really special about you, which um, I can't put my finger on it. And I really need to know what's the special blend. And I need to get the recipe from your dad as well. Um, but could you share with us, you know, uh, who is Ramy Shelton? Well, <laughs> that's a hard one. Uh well, so growing up, I always saw myself as a straight A student. I was always on A honor roll. I was, I thought I would like cry if I got a B. And so I was in traditional school, normal public education at first. And then I was also a gymnast and I did club gymnastics competitively. And I, so then I went through the whole like ninth grade girl phase where you lose all your friends and stuff and I realized I was like who am I I'm a straight-a student and a gymnast I'm like but what else <laughs> like that can't be it so in a matter of a week I changed schools and quit gymnastics and I went to a um charter school and so it was very small my graduating class was I think seven or eight, <laughs> I can't even remember. But uh, it's basically uh, my school leased uh, a campsite. So we were on 300 acres in the middle of the woods on a lake. And it was all project-based. We didn't have classes, we didn't have tests, we didn't do that normal homework stuff. It was very much student-driven in which some kids very much, sink or swim some people do amazing and thrive in that and some people don't and i really decided that was what i liked i liked having my education in my control so like my senior year i basically focused on the sanctuary and i had the flexibility to only go some days and then to work on the sanctuary and use it as my capstone project and I learned a lot about myself. I had lots of anxiety. I couldn't talk to people at my other school. Like all the teachers would do the conferences and be like, we like Greeny, she's really smart, but she doesn't talk. <laughs> and <laughs> my mom's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I just never really talked to anyone. I was so shy. And then I changed schools and I talked to people. All the teachers are super chill. Like no, like Mr. and Mrs. It was all first name basis. We didn't wear shoes. Like it was like, we had like a living room with a fireplace and bean bags. It was such a comfortable setting. And it was so nice to get out of the normal traditional school picture perfect box. And I was like, I can break out. I can breathe. And like, by the end of my graduation, I could talk to senators about our school. I could talk to new children. Like I was one of the go-tos for introducing people. And I would just, I was always that outgoing person and I did not start that way. And that really helped influence who I became and let me this, to get this drive and know, Hey, I can do this. <laughs> That's what I would uh, say. So what's really so what's the name of this um, amazing school that you've um, switched to? 
So it's Jane Goodall Environmental Sciences Academy. So it's kind of a mouthful, but we call it Jigiza. <laughs> and it was, I joined there. It was only its second year up and running when I joined. And I joined the end of my ninth grade year. And then I graduated there. Okay, so I'm from Singapore, so I'm not very familiar with your um, U.S. system. So ninth grade, how old would that would you be? I was 14 turning 15. Right, okay. Wow. All right, that's, the, that's literally smack your teenage years when, you know, uh, hormones are changing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Did you, did you, so did you, did you have a hand in choosing the school or, you know, or was that your parents looking and choosing? I mean, did you, how, how did you decide? So my brother actually, he was um, having some troubles learning in the other school too, in that environment. And so he actually looked at that and we had uh, my parents' friend's kid went there and he decided it wasn't for him, but we still thought we would go and check it out. And then I went too and I was like, oh my gosh, this is super cool. And they're like, we would, my parents were like, we would never have seen you in that scenario. Like you did so good in traditional school. It just, I couldn't like be me. So then I, I was like, you know what? I like, I was like sitting alone at lunch and stuff. I was like going through that whole girly phase. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch schools. Turned in all my books and cleaned out my locker. And I didn't even know if I got into the school. I hadn't even like uh, told them or anything. And so then I went and talked to them that day. And they're like, yeah, awesome. We have a spot for you. And then my dad was like, okay, do we need to go clean out your locker? I'm like, nope, I already did it. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, I already did it. <laughs> wow. Um... Okay, this is, I think this is something that I, a lot of people would be able to like relate to, um, you know, um, being a teenager and, and um, feeling a bit like a different and bit outcast and not fitting in. Uh, what, what, what you said is interesting because you said you were an, a grade A student, you were doing very well academically in school, but you didn't you didn't feel like you fit it in somehow. And you were a gymnast, I remember that because your mom because uh, I follow your mom, obviously, um, stalker that I am. And, you know, she, she, she was very proud of the fact that you were a gymnast. And I think, um, okay, I'm not very familiar, but you were doing almost like national state kind of competition level, like high level sort oh, of do, competitions or something. Kind of, yeah. So like you can do club gymnastics. So then there's the junior Olympic side that's like levels uh basically competitive levels start at like level three level four and then it can go up to level uh 10 and then depending on that if you want to go to collegiate and do it through college which it's harder to get a scholarship otherwise you can go if you're good enough to like the olympics or whatever but i, I was never that good no but um basically then there's another side called excel program and so it was more of a lenient because you have certain skills you have to do on jo side so i did that and that was it like it wasn't an exact uh like you had a range so you would do level seven on jo but then like uh excel was uh bronze gold 
bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and diamond. So a diamond was like a range of between like level seven to nine, ten-ish. So I was in diamond. So I got a lot of free reign over my skills and just got to pick and choose. And I mainly did it for fun. I wasn't super competitive or anything. I just, I did do competitive, but it wasn't my favorite part. I just like doing it. Um, why, why, why do you think, uh, why did you, why do you think you felt so, you know, dissatisfied in your old school? Despite the fact that you were so academic, you know, you were doing, you like, I think like most parents, I think if they saw your report card, they would think like, I've got a perfect child. My child's good. She's kosher, you know? Um, But obviously there was something, you know, that, that you weren't happy about, you know, to make you want to change and to actually make that decision before even your parents, (laughs) you know? um, Yeah. Could you share with people, you know, how, how, how was, how, how, how were you, you know, what was it like, you know, in the old school and, you know, like, why? So it was just like, cause I had known all these kids since I was very young and they were all very close knit together. Um, They all, lots of them were related and stuff so they had big families and then everyone was this cousin this cousin I was just never that person I was different I wasn't I didn't really like have family there or anything so I was just kind of an outcast they weren't I mean it was definitely a different feel of the community it wasn't so inviting it was like definitely like that you're popular you're not you're this you're that everyone's judging constantly and I was like I don't I don't like it. I feel like I have to be someone. I'm not just so that I get don't get judged and I don't get to wear the clothes I want. I don't get to wear the makeup I want. I don't get to do all that stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I have to do, uh, oh, everyone wants to be a nurse. That was the big thing. I have huge respect for nurses, but I was like, I just, I don't feel like that. And everyone wanted to do that. And I was like, I feel weird for not wanting to do that. Like, so then I was like, you know what? I just, I want to do something that I'm happy. That's what I want to be when I grow up. I don't want to be this or that. I just want to be happy with whatever I'm doing. So I decided, I was like, I need to figure out who I am. And I don't think I can do that at the school that I, in the situation and the people I was around. You know, usually um, when teenagers, um, when they hit a wall, when they're unhappy about something in school, they usually rebel and, you know, um, do things to, um, that will make parents perspire and sweat, you know. Um, Doesn't sound like you actually did that to your parents somehow. Uh, But, you know, um, (laughs) could you, could you share with people, you know, uh, what, What's that special sauce in your family? Because obviously your parents brought you up very differently to give you, to enable you and have that courage to, to want to find yourself, you know, to not be afraid to question. Um, because I come from a very conservative family. I'm, I'm from Singapore, which is an Asian, you know, we're in Southeast Asia. And um, it's a very conservative society, to be honest. Um, I don't have that kind of relationship that you, you have with your parents from what I observe. It's very different um, Caucasian, Western families and, and Asian families. 
but your family seems to be even with an X factor different from your regular Caucasian family, you know, um, besides the fact that I think you grew up with a lot of animals, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and your mom's a vet and, you know, um, you know, you, you've been literally, you know, uh, surrounded by essential oils, I think since you were really, really young. So, how would you say yeah how would you say you know growing up your childhood your family situation you know how much of a part did it play in in your development i would definitely say a huge part because my family's always been super honest so my mom's vet clinic was in our house and literally like the room across from my bedroom and so I would always go home and go in there and be like oh what you doing oh you're spaying this thing that and she was always super like she would oh she would never be like oh we had to put this dog to sleep she would just say it, it was like this dog was euthanized like it was just it was just a fact of life like we weren't ever she didn't ever like shelter us really it was just very honest and she always chose that path of honesty she wouldn't say like on technical terms, you'd be like penis, vagina, or whatever. Like she wouldn't like, oh, you can't say that. Like that was just, that's what you do. It's the technical term. And so we were always grew up very real and raw like that. And we would always ask questions. She would answer honestly, or if she couldn't, she'd be like, I can't. And then also seeing her through, cause it very close to the vet room so we could see it and everything. So then when she closed that and started the oils, it was like, wow she completely threw, she, well, no, she did not throw away her education, but she went through like eight years of vet school. And then she went to become a vet and now she's not going to be a vet. And that's a huge leap. And that's awesome. Like she's like, it's still definitely integrating the oils, but it's like, you go through all that school and then switch it. And that's such, I think it's so brave. And that was really awesome I think for me to see from a young age just wow you can really if you think you want to do something you can totally do it and make it successful and completely just yeah succeed in whatever path you choose no matter what it is that was really influential growing up I think you know could you share with everyone um how Beyond Sanctuary is created you know and and what you did because it's really remarkable yeah, thank you. Yeah, so uh, it was, I was like my junior year, or like the end of it. Yeah, like summer and spring right after junior year. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be going to college. I was like, what do I want to do? It's like, do I want to take a business course? Because I, I was always, well, my mom's owned her own business like my whole life. So I was like, I want to do that. I like that. That's what I know. So I was like, I could do some business management and then we rescued Joe and Mama Donkey, and we were like, I was like, yeah, I, I like this. I like, and I've, I've grown up around horses my entire life, and we've always had them, and they were always rescues. Uh, yeah, they were all rescues even before we started the sanctuary, and we only had three horses, a pony, and a cow, <laughs> and then, um, so it was coming to, I was like, okay, I if I want to do college. And then I had my two dogs. I was like, okay, I, and I, I do it. I did have a horse, one horse. So I was like, well, what do I want to do? How am I going to keep them? Like, so then I was like, well, we could like 
buy a hobby farm and you rent it and like we do classes out of there for oils or something and then we're like well we really like rescuing and we've always done dog rescue cat rescue horse rescue everything rescue our whole lives and we're like okay we like this and we like the horses and so like last fall then we had gotten quite a few horses and we're like okay we should find a property and I was like you know what I don't I don't know if I really want to go to college anymore and they're like that's fine like that's perfectly okay and like it was hard for some people to like fathom that because I was still like a good student we didn't have grades at my school or like a b c none of that it was just if you completed high school or not, you just got the state standards and you had to do it on your own terms. And so I was really on track and ahead and everyone's like, oh, you're not going to college? I'm like, no, I just, I don't really want to go back to that conventional, traditional type of life. So we got the sanctuary and we're like, we bought that property because actually I, I found that property and I was like, okay, if you can find a nice property with a really cute barn, like, and that meets, she had a, like a list of criteria and she's like, okay, gotta meet this and then we'll see. And I found that and we went and looked at it and we're like, oh, like the energy of the whole property. Like it just feels like home. Like it felt so good. And so we got that and then we had already rescued quite a few horses by then. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well we can do the sanctuary. And like, mom's like, well, you don't have to go to school. You can go and do, like online classes for hay evaluation for equine massage you could do body works and she's like like um nutrition and stuff she's like i will send you to these things and you can help with the horses and i'm like i like that a lot more because then so i was thinking about going to business management and then i was like well you know i, I really like the horses and stuff what if i was like an equine vet and i was like well, that's a lot of schooling and it's I like I was just kind of like I'm kind of done with the school type of thing I just want to get into real life and be an adult I'm kind of over it I don't really want to go back and I was like you know I, I don't really need to be a veterinarian I can help them in so many other ways without that degree and especially if we can rescue horses rehabilitate them get their um nutrition back in order train them and find them good reliable homes that would be there's such an overpopulation of horse and everyone's like if you have a mare breed it it's amazing but then they don't keep the baby and then someone sells it and then the other person sells it and the next thing you know it's in the auction circuit and it ends up at a kill pen and we've heard many stories of people like oh my gosh i accidentally came across this kill pen and my horse was in there that i sold two years ago and it's so heartbreaking. I'm like, I just couldn't imagine that ever happening to my horses. It's like, that's just, it's so hard. And you don't really realize, like I've told so many people about and they're like, there's kill pens for horses. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. The whole auction circuit, it's just, it's horrible. And these horses go through so much. And I love it when we take them in and then just see them blossom and find themselves and it's, it's totally like how when I switch schools and stuff I can see how that affected me and how it's affecting them like uh, I don't know if you've seen like Apollo he's a gray gelding that we rescued and he is he wouldn't let anyone touch him at first no halters he would run away and I loved him <laughs> I was like oh my gosh he's so gorgeous and he like 
wouldn't let me catch him. He was like, no, no, no. And I was the only one who could get close enough to like pet him sometimes. And then I was the only one who could catch him after a while. So I'd like try to catch him for like a half an hour. He was in a corner and I just looked at him. I was like, dude, seriously. Cause he was a ranch gelding and they just use them and use them and use them and then throw them away once they're hurt and can't be ridden anymore. And so I was like, oh, dude, you are so loved here. You're not just a tool. Like we're doing, I'm trying to catch you to take you to the, uh, um, we still use the equine veterinarian since my mom was a small animal. We still bring them in for like geldings and stuff, which, and like anything big. So I was like, dude, we're just bringing you to get your teeth floated. Like you're not a tool, like you're actually loved. And he walked over to me and put his face in the halter. And it was just that wow. whole, you could feel the energetic of like oh you're not just gonna catch me and ride me and make me work cattle and do all these things and then throw me away and like he because he was just like oh brushing and love and hugs he was just like that's not a world that they're used to that like I love like not even just the riding aspect of it I love grooming them I love feeding them it's just so and then, of course, if you have a bad day, you just go out there and you're like, feed the horses, like, oh, just, oh, it's so calming and nice and just, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of the story of it. And of course, the story is still continuing because we're only about our first year in and it's, it's awesome. I love how it's going so far and all the horses have changed dramatically since we've gotten them. And I'm just excited to start training and get our facility set up and a program set down and everything. You know, you're really a special young lady. Uh, I know I said it more than once, but you amaze me. Um, like, wow, really, you know, um, <laughs> There is, there is definitely something very special about you, you know, um, that the animals can, can feel it. You know, the fact that you're a little horse whisperer, you, 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 you know, you're turning into one of your, you know, you know, you know, that's your, your calling, right? <laughs> you, you speak to them, yeah. they can hear you. They, you know, they, they really respond to you. Um, I think more, more, more you than your mom, I think in some cases. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, there, there is definitely an X factor about you, which, you know, it really uh, drew my eye. I mean, I'm very new to social media. I, you know, um, I'm very bad at social media. I'm not good at it. So when I followed uh, Beyond, you know, uh, your story is like one of the few that I actually bother to 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 look at and and read you know the the stories the posts that that you guys put up and the videos that you share and it just amazes me how how the animals respond to you because it, it doesn't they don't lie you know uh you you use let me see um when you were 16 you were certified as an uh, an aromatherapist which is actually very very young uh and you use animalio essential oils. Um, you know, could you could you share with people um, the role that you know the oils play? You know, with how you know you work with the animals. You know, what sort of impact does it have? Yeah. 
Yeah, so lots of, I, I mean, I love the oils, obviously, and I love how they really can set the tone of an interaction with the horses. So if they're very anxious, I'll even put oils on me just so that they can smell that. And some of them are just, they, well, so in Cass, the one mare was pregnant. She like was so sensitive the days leading up, like dripping because we would use smooth delivery and even just a couple drops and just like, just to let her breathe it in. And she didn't want anything touching her. Even the drips of the oils would make her super sensitive. So I would put it on me and let her smell it. And she would, it would really calm her down. And we would diffuse that while she was in her birthing stall and stuff. And so then lots of the rescues, when we get them, it's like, you don't, when you get them, it's not them at all. You're like, it's completely different. And then a couple of weeks go by and you're like, oh my gosh, you're like Apollo, that same gelding. My mom was like, oh my gosh, he was biting everyone at the pen. He was attacking the other horses. She's like, he was not a nice horse. And then he got here and he's one of the nicest we have. Everyone loves him. They're just like, oh my gosh, he's so sweet. But definitely, and I would use oils on me and just be around him. I would put chamomile on him and just let him breathe it in. And they, some of them just love it and they'll try to eat the oils. <laughs> and so we would, and then we had a strangles glow in our quarantine pro, uh, pen. So we would use the boost in a bottle and rub it down their necks and on their chests. And we would have them like lick it, like some of them would want to lick it off their our hands. They're just like, oh my gosh especially when they need it, they tend to like it more. And sometimes it's even like, oh, okay, you're supposed to be, okay, we want you to calm. Here's some chamomile. And they're like, mm, no. And then you take out a completely different oil that you wouldn't think. And they're like, oh, I like that. And they get so much calmer. They definitely tell you what they want and what they need. And it's some strange, strange blend sometimes, but it it always helps and they just, they really tell you, they're like, oh, I need that. And we'll start licking it. And like the babies we have in quarantine now, uh, Percy and Jack, they were like trying to lick the oils and chew on them. They're like, oh my gosh, we need it. And they definitely like, it. and then you might notice like a month later, like, hmm, I don't really need it that much anymore. So I don't want it as much. And it definitely, it really affects them. It's crazy how much they can be and like my I have one of our other horses Ringo he likes new mobility rubbed on his butt and down his legs he's just all he'll sit there and he'll just stand and he's like fall asleep <laughs> <He's> his favorite <laughs> oh wow oh I I'm so envious because I would love to visit uh visit you guys one day when when this COVID thing you lives and you know, I have the ability to travel and, and visit, you know, you guys are like the, the number one place that I actually want to visit and, 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 and see you guys because, um, you know, your oils, Animalio oils have changed. I think they were like the, the, the one thing that really changed the way I, I use how, how I handle animals, how I handle my rescue work. You know, um, besides nutrition, I'm a raw feeder in general, and uh, we feed a mix of like commercial wet canned food. We don't feed kibble um, to our to our community cats, but we feed feed a mixture of like commercial wet and raw. But um, I've been using the oils. Um, sometimes you know 
without the need to actually bring them to the vet. It's it's just amazing. You know, there's a lot of medicinal value, you know, like benefits to the oils that it's not just the fact that they smell wonderful. <clears throat> and your mom, um, I think she's an artist or something. She has a way of blending the oils in such a way that it just works and it makes sense, you know, and you can feel that, that positive energy and love that she puts in the, into the blends. I really believe in that. So, you know, um, using the oils with my animals, um, you know, obviously, like you said, some animals usually, they're so traumatized, like your horses that you rescue, um, I would say they have like PTSD, you know, um, they're very traumatized and, and they usually come from really bad situations. So, you know, um, the oils sort of help calm them down. And I like, I like the fact that, you know, you, the way you describe it is that the horses, um, and a, not, not a lot of people actually recognize this or, you know, acknowledge it, but horses are super intelligent. You know, they, they have very deep souls, you know, they, to me, I think they're better than human beings, to be honest, <laughs> you know, and they, yeah. And, and they, they're such, you know, it's, they're so magical and they are very wise. I think wiser than us. And I like the fact that you, you give them that choice to choose the oils that they want. You know, um, not a lot of people understand that animals actually do choose their treatments. It's not just about, you know, us or the vet diagnosing and like, here, you must do this protocol. Um, a lot of it, times it's it's a lot about you know give and take intuition as well like how the animals respond to the oils and the smell um and i actually like the fact that you're using the oils in such a way with your rescue work that um you help the animals the horses sort of uh come out of that darkness that they have you know, that distrust of human beings, you know, all that anger issues that they have, you know, what, whatever they've been facing in the past, the minute they come to the sanctuary. And I mean, I've seen some of the videos where, you know, you, you have a lot of patience. Um, one thing with, I think, any animal person that you talk to when, you, when you're dealing with rescue work, you must have a lot of patience. You know, you must be willing to get dirty. <laughs> and I think in your case, it's literally like horse shit. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a lot of crap, a lot of crap. On. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not just a figurative thing, but you guys actually handle a lot of crap, uh, you know. And I, I just am amazed that you did not think of giving up or did you? That's the thing. Did you ever think about, you know, no. like, oh, this is too much. I can't take it. I definitely, I have those moments. Never, like, for a continual basis. But some days I'll get in at night and it's, like, already dark out. I just finished chores and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so much. Do I really want to? I'm Because I am. I'm only 18. I'm like, do I want to do this my entire life? This is so much. And then I go back out there. I'm like, yes yep just seeing the horses like no i love this this is definitely something i want to do i'm like i just get doubts and then i just go out there and I'm like nope you guys remind me it's like every day i go out there and they remind me why i'm doing it they're just some horse that we wouldn't be able to touch before comes up and snuggles with you and you're like this is why i do this 
the amazing changes that you see from them. It's crazy. And I'm like, no, this, it reminds me every day, every time I go out there, I'm like, yep, this is what I love. You guys, besides, you know, the essential oils, I think um, the, the way you approach your rescue work at Beyond is not conventional as either. Um, even like the, 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 uh, what do you call it? The medicine, you know, the treatments that you do, it's not just always conventional approach, but you guys use a lot of holistic uh, modalities as well. Could you share with people what, what you use and what you do? Yeah, so uh, even with herbs and stuff and certain supplements, so if a mare is very hormonal or going through heat, which I had a mare who was very, she would get super aggressive on her heat cycle and very just bratty and so raspberry leaves actually and she would like eat them and do the flaming response and lift her lip and just it, she loved them even geldings love them if they're super like hormonally imbalanced and stuff they love raspberry leaves and that was so like certain herbs like that and then I love researching supplements like I am probably an addict and I spend too much money on my horse's supplements but I'm like oh it's so cool and I definitely want to take more courses in like equine nutrition it just fascinates me that whole thing and even weird things like my horse one of the horses he was a, like loved this one supplement and then today I offered it him and he looked at sniffed it I was like I don't like it anymore. And so I went and I tried a different one. He's like, oh yeah, that's it. And just licked the bucket clean. And then I went and I gave his other one to my, to a different horse. And he was like, oh yeah, I love it. It's good. So they definitely, it's lots of different supplements and I love, and then of course use the oils and stuff, but herbs and supplements. And I, I love that whole aspect and even how they eat. So we use hay nets and um, the University of Minnesota actually did a study on them and it actually decreases stress so much just because they I mean you throw the hay out there and then they eat it all and then they're like oh my gosh like what am I supposed to do this is what I do and just having that like getting to pick away and nibble at it like throughout the day it decreased their stress levels so significantly and um, it it just, it, and then it also, well, it's good for uh, the person buying the hay because it uh, decreases hay waste by so much. And like horses eat 25 pounds a day each. Wow. <laughs> and we have almost 50 equines. So we go through a lot of hay. And so that really, and then of course they eat more during the winter because that's how they stay warm. And then they eat less during the summer, but then all the babies eat more because they're like, it's time to grow. <laughs> and so it just, it cuts down on waste so much. And then it decreases their stress. And we usually, so like when we introduce nets to the new horses, we'll put loose hay and then also a hay net. And sometimes they choose the hay net over the loose hay even. It's really interesting to watch them. And then when the University of Minnesota did that study, it was like, wow, oh my gosh, just the science behind it is crazy. Oh, you amaze me. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I like the fact that you deep dive into things which interest you. I think that, that that's the mark of someone who's, you know, passionate and, and interested about something. You really go into it. Uh, and supplements and, and herbs and all that, you know, I, I, I so understand that part because that's 
we use a lot of that in our rescue work as well, you know, and, and how animals respond to, I mean, I don't have horses here. I don't deal with them here, but we, we, we deal with like, you know, mainly cats and dogs and just, just seeing the response and the changes, you know, just nutrition and the holistic modalities that we introduce to the, to the rescue work um, besides, you know, the conventional vet and, you know, whatever medicine that is required that they need, um, just doing that, the nutrition part and, and the herbal supplements, it makes a huge difference, you know, in their behavior in in how, how they feel, you know, their energy level really perks up, you know, uh, I, I, you know, to me, and you tell me what, Beyond's only about a year old, I think, is it a year old? Yep. Yep. So from like zero horses at Beyond, now you have 50 equines. <laughs> Well, I have not gotten a complete accurate count, but between 45 and 50 equines, which we've always had uh, horses and ponies and cows and stuff, but just not at this scale. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you guys, I think you guys go off to rescue at the kill pen quite, quite frequently. I mean, like if, if I follow the, the, what I read, you know, on, on, on a regular basis, I think you guys are driving off somewhere to, to, you know, check out the horses and then you're bringing what, at least one or two every, every other week. Is, is that, is that the rate that it seems to be? Yeah. How oh, are you guys managing? It definitely varies. Um, usually you go to the pen and you're like we're only bringing home one and then of course like so when we so the new babies that we just took that was Cass who we took in November her baby from last year and then their half brother and so we're like okay we had we said if we could ever get them we would bring them home so we went there actually my mom went there and then the poppy that Palomino gelding he walked up and set his head in her chest and just sit, stood there and she's like oh yeah when they just pick you out of there's they are so many horses in that tiny space and like one will come up and just cling to you and then when she loaded the boys he just sat there and looked at her and she's like okay get in the trailer you're coming with and good thing because he, he is very skinny and malnourished but he is so sweet and he he just loves those little boys and he's in a separate pen right now so he can get a little extra nutrition and sometimes he'll not let the boys get any any grain or anything but he he does love them and he's a great like grandpa gelding and just watching them but lots of times you go there and like I remember my first time going there and I bawled like there was just this mare that walked up and then she looked like my mare already. So then I was, she just walked up and she just stared and I just started crying. And then the lady who like ran all the pen stuff, the kill pen stuff, and she was still, it's people trying to help the animals no matter what. They really do have good hearts, even if it's a crappy situation, but it's, it's never going to go away. It needs, it's going to always be there, the kill pens. And it's so sad, but she started crying too when I was crying and she's a very sweet lady but yeah it's like you just you gotta go it's it's very emotional there because everyone's scared they don't know what they're doing there are some feral horses but then there's also some 
heck, they might have been show champions. And then, oh, you came up lame, you're going to the kill pen. And then it's like, you can just feel their energy of like, wait, what? I put my whole life and soul into serving my humans and they just dumped me and they just try to process that. And it is, it's heartbreaking. It's so sad. And you can feel it, how their energy changes and how they feel uh, inside. And then when they come here and then they change and they learn to trust humans again, it's just a beautiful process. Could you, could you explain to people who might not um, understand what is a kill pen? You know, um, I think there'll be some people who, who, don't, who, who might not understand what, what is a kill pen. So could you just share that? Yeah, so uh, there are lots of kill pens around, but basically uh, when a horse, and it's not every horse in the auction circuit, but people will bring them to auction thinking that they can get more money off of them. And there'll be kill buyers who think they can get them for pretty low and then jack up the price and make people pay that to get the horses, which, uh, and then it's just, it's a necessary evil. So in the States here, uh, equine slaughter is um, illegal. So they have nowhere for these unwanted horses to go. So they, in it's still legal in Canada and Mexico, but they and we're we're bordering Canada, Minnesota does, but they usually take them down to Mexico since there are less um, restrictions on the condition that the horses are in. So they're starting up here in Minnesota and having to travel all that way to Min to Mexico just to be slaughtered. Which, as horrible as it sounds, there almost is a need for slaughter to be legalized here in the states just because there's horses with broken legs having to travel down from minnesota to mexico in a trailer standing on a broken leg and it's like gosh and some people just they don't see the value they see them horses as a tool and once that tool is broken you throw it away and it's like gosh that's they still have souls like and like they just deserve, you can, you should just spend a couple bucks and euthanize the horse and not make them suffer and go through auction to auction to the kill pen to Mexico. And usually they don't just take them to Mexico. They stop here and try to get money from this place and that place and the other place. And it's, it's a necessary evil, but it's, it's horrible. And there definitely could be change that goes in, but unfortunately I don't see it happening anytime soon. So we do what we can to help with these horses and there there's some really amazing horses that go through the the kill pen cycle like they're uh they were show champions at one point they are still good like sometimes it's even the owner dies and the kids don't want them and they don't know any better they don't lots of people don't even know that there's kill buyers at the auctions and stuff they just they don't know and it's lack of information so it's not even their fault necessarily but it's just it's sad. I think it's, a lot of people, yeah. yeah, it sucks. I think a lot of people don't realize that um, horses, when they get killed and bought and slaughtered, the meat is actually used in fat food. <laughs> a lot of, uh, there's some people who might not realize that, you know, um, what you feed your, your cats and dogs might actually have horse meat in there. I think not, not a lot of people actually realize that there's this dark side to it. Um, because, you know, uh, if you slaughter a horse, the question is, where does the meat go? <laughs> and exactly. a lot and of people, so many they, they don't, 
Yeah, they don't yeah. think about that. Yeah, they don't think about that. Um, you know, you're so young. Um, how do you cope with seeing all that suffering? So, well, I think that I did grow up in a veterinary clinic, basically. I saw lots of animals be euthanized, and it's always just been the circle of life. It wasn't necessarily a sad thing. It was just moving on to a different phase in the life cycle. So I've always had a different look on death as the average kid. Most of my friends are like, I've only seen my family dog be euthanized. And I'm like, I've seen a lot. First of all, we've had lots of animals. And I used to travel along to house calls with my parents when I was little. So I would see other people's animals euthanized. And it was just, it was just how it was. So I get that whole, I definitely have a different outlook on death as I would, uh, as I was raised, but uh, it's, it is, it can be hard to cope and it definitely, I mean, there's many we can't save and that's the hardest part. I want to save them all. I wish I could help them all and I just, I can't and neither the sanctuary can't and it's, it is sad, but at least I know that that saying like you can't uh, change the world, but you can change the world for one animal. It definitely is that way. I go out there and I'm like, you know what? I could save this one. I could save this yearling baby who this, they've only been around for a year. Like they had no life that was lived before this. And now they get a second chance and they get to grow up and it's makes it all worth it and reminds me why I'm doing it and how I'm helping the horses that I can help. And just the change in them alone is really, it eases the mind. Wow. So currently, would you say, you know, um, right now your hands are pretty full. I think what, what's a typical day for you? You know, when you wake up, what, 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 what does a typical day look like for you? How long does it last? What time do you get home? (laughs) It's different every day. <laughs> and of course, there's emergencies in that. Oh my gosh, I can't say how many times I've gone out just to check on the horses and then someone's choking or colicking. And then I'm out there in not uh, winter ready where I just went out to check. And then I'm standing out there for three hours, starving and freezing, making sure the horses, the, the vet, emergency vet comes out and takes care of the horse and tubes it and stuff. I can't say how many times that's happened, but usually on a typical day, it depends because we have two locations right now. We're in the process of setting up the sanctuary and moving all of the horses from our, we already do have horses over there, but we're moving, we're trying to create a track system. So we're in the process of doing that. And then all the horses that are at our home still will go over there. And so we want to do that before fall. So then it will be very much easier. But right now we're at, we're split between two locations. So depending on which one I'm at, I will do. So like at the house, I will grain and med certain horses in the morning and then make sure that everyone has their hay. And then if anyone is acting weird or has an injury, I will report to everyone, keep an eye on this. I will either treat it with oils or whatever needs to be done, excuse me, and um, keep an eye on things. And then little projects, cleaning up, organizing feed, mowing, weed whipping, all that jazz. Uh, If any wounds need to be treated, bandage needs to be changed, 
And then at the sanctuary, we call it the farm, then I'll do cleanest to dirtiest. So whoever is, so I usually do like babies who have been through quarantine and we've had the longest and then all the horses out of quarantine. We have to quarantine everyone when they come in because there's lots of diseases they gather at the kill pen. So they stay in their own pen for at least a month, sometimes longer. And so then I will do them very last at the end of the day. I will still like in the mornings, I'll like just throw loose hay for them so that I'm not going in there and getting contaminated and having, sometimes I have to, if someone's hurt or something, and then I just change and wash up and get clean. Um, but, and then at the end of the day, I will do all their chores and scoop their pen and stuff. And then I can go home and change and shower. <laughs> so what time do you normally wake up? I mean, what time, what time does your day start? Uh, usually about 8.30, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, depending on if I go out there and I'm like, oh crap, this horse is doing something weird. Now I have to tend to them and not do chores till then. Or I wake up early and I just look out the window and I'm like, oh my gosh, gotta run out there. <laughs> and just... Usually 8.30, if all is and going what time well. you, So what time would you say is like, you know, end of the day for you when you get home? Uh, I try about 5, 5.30. Usually it's longer. But we're trying to create a system where we start at 8.30 and end around 5, 5.30. But then, of course, I'm like, what do I do my, with myself for the rest of the day? And then go out and play with horses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man, you, you're amazing. I mean, you know, the more I listen to you and, and, and you know, I, I just, you know, it, it, it amazes me, you know, that I'm talking to an 18-year-old girl because, uh, you know, um, what you share is, very mature work, very responsible work, you know, um, and basically you. you're doing that on your own uh, with, I don't know, I mean, by yourself normally? Oh, uh, no, we actually have some employees and we have about uh, three other girls who do with me who do mainly outside and then I will do in production with the essential oils and stuff and then we have like Tracy inside and she's just awesome and cranks that whole aspect out and has her crew and then I'm outside with about three other girls usually and we just they're a huge help I could not do this all alone <laughs> for yeah, sure so it's definitely it's a lot of work so like well, you have, well, at least 50 horses plus the other animals. So you've got, I don't know, 100, I'm guessing. I don't know um, how many animals. You have a lot of animals. You have a lot of animals, you know. Um, yeah. You know, to, to me, it's a lot of responsibility. And I'm just amazed that, you know, your parents trust you so much, you know, to, to let you you know, go out there and make judgment calls and stuff like that. It, it takes a lot of trust and respect because not a lot of parents would do that because, uh, you know, um, the things that you do requires a, a, a cool head, you know, a, a very mature person to be able to troubleshoot things because when you're dealing with animals, it's always, you know, you, you have, it's, it's very fluid. 
So whatever happens, it happens on that day and you have to be able to respond to it, you know. Um, so that takes a lot of flexibility as well. And, you know, being able to judge, you know, you're able to, to sort of like, okay, what do I have to do? And, you know, uh, who do I need if I need help? You know, um, yes. how far is it uh, from your homestead to the farm? In terms oh, of like by car or by walking? By car, yeah. It's a 10-minute drive just down the road to the sanctuary part from the house. But we have most of the horses at the house. But uh, yes, on the keeping your coal, it definitely takes that. And I, I don't know how, but I get very calm in situations that are hectic. So just go down there and the horses have escaped. And I'm like, okay and I'm calm. <laughs> and I also, I really love Arabians and lots of people don't necessarily like them as much because they're very much, they're very, well, they're very petite breeds. So they're not going to be a whole match to like a mountain lion. So they're very flighty. They have that much more flight instead of fight response. So they're like, oh, even a leaf like crunching, they're like, oh, okay, gotta run away. Like they're very much self-preservant and stuff. And, but they're also, they're so smart. And that's kind of what scares people too is, and they read people like horses, like quarters, they read people and stuff. But like, if you're very anxious, they usually don't get that way. If you're anxious, an Arab's gonna be like, oh my gosh. And I really jive with them because I'm a very hyper person, but then when I get around them, I can, I can stay calm. And I just, uh, they want to spook out of leaf. Hey, that's all right. It's okay. And if you just need to walk around me and circle just to like move your feet, balance your brain, like that's, that's perfectly fine. I don't see it as disrespectful. That's just how they're coping with their stressful situation. And I very, I'm, I love that breed. I am very biased, but I think they're just, they're so smart and they read people so well. And I think that's what kind of scares people sometimes is how well they can read you and how you have to be really in touch with your emotions. And you got to do a check of yourself and be like, where's my head? Am I focused on what I'm doing with my horses and being present? Or is my head like, what am I eating for dinner? Like, you want to be very present and it's it's and it's good for you to practice being present and it's they really make you do it but it's yeah you just when it's in a hectic situation i'm like very calm and of course i i'm always if something happens I'm like calling my mom and she's she's definitely the first person to be like oh there's an emergency this is what we do and then if no one can get a hold of her then it's me <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's, it is a lot to put on my shoulders, but I'm like, I, I don't know why, but I get think very clearly in hectic situations. Wow. Um, you know, um, dealing with so many horses and rescues, it's a lot of dollars and cents, actually. I mean, like running a sanctuary, you know, um, the ability to do that, you need, you need some money. I mean, as much as we all are, you know, animal lovers and, you know, we, we want to save, like you say, you wish you could save every single horse that you see. Um, you know, the, there's a reality check in the sense that, you know, how much can you actually handle, you know, um, because, you know, you, you're, you're learning to, well, you're helping to manage the, the sanctuary and stuff. 
um, you know, do you do you get how involved are you in terms of you know like looking at operations cost and you know like buying hay and 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 you know like the I don't know the dry boring part of it you know the operations part of it um, how how do you feel about doing that that side of it? Uh, it's it's a necessity. It's not funnest, <laughs> but we love our donors and donators they help so much and it really makes a difference and we are in the process of getting our 501c3 right now and so once we get our nonprofit, that will help a lot but uh thankfully with the essential oils that definitely uh that contributes a lot to the sanctuary and stuff because the oils and the horses are our only jobs and stuff basically so the essential oils it really contributes. And then our donators are so, they're awesome. We love them so much. They're a huge help and it impacts so many lives. And I, I love it when they're like, we need like, oh, a blanket for whoever. And they're like, here you go. And they say like, this is for this animal or they donate in like a horse's name. I love that. It's so cool how much they watch it and they love the animals and I'm like, oh, other people love them too. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, wow. It's like, it feels good. It's like, okay, people are really following along and liking what we're doing, but I'm not as involved with that part yet. Uh, Basically, that's my parents, but I'm being groomed to take it over the sanctuary and stuff one day, and I, I do love it, and I do try to play a huge role, and that is my main work is the sanctuary, um, but they mainly do that, but I'll still help with loading hay, and I'll find certain hay, or like we'll go pick it off the field, because uh, they usually make it cheaper then, or um, like the hay nets that literally it's crazy how much waste and they'll rip it out throw it on the ground and pee on it and you're like really why when you each need 25 pounds a day and so those nets they're crazy i love finding stuff like that that this cuts down on hay waste or here's another intake of calories that's cheaper or you can get it through something like i love that whole aspect and finding different interesting cool new ways like that You know, the more I listen to you, the more respect I have for you. Uh, you know, the the amount of knowledge that you have, it blows my mind. And the fact that, you know, you're so hands-on on at the sanctuary itself. You are, every day is like, you know, like you're, you're honing your craft. You're, you're learning, you're learning, you know, you're getting that experience. Um, I, you know, the fact that, you know, I like the fact that you said, you know, when things go haywire, you actually calm down and you're suddenly, you know, very clear-headed to respond. Uh, not a lot of teenagers, not even adults would do that, okay? Most, most people, don't, don't count teenagers, but most people in, in a stressful situation, they usually do lose their head and they freak out and get very emotional, you know? Um, but what, you know, listening to you and how you describe, you know, situation and scenarios, um, you actually go onto this auto drive where you sort of like, okay, you know, we'll tone it down and, you know, have a look at things very calmly to see what we can do to, to fix things. Um, that's a very, very special skill, you know, uh, 
and mm-hmm. it just blows my mind every time. I, seriously, this whole interview, from the beginning to the end, you just blow my mind every, you know, wh- whenever you say something and I listen to you, the more I listen to you know, she's not 18. She's, you know, she's got to at least be in her 20s or something, you know, like seriously, or, you know, like you, you, you are developing a lot of hands-on knowledge that a, a lot of people don't have just because you're so hands-on with the animals, you know, um, and I, you know, I really respect that because not a lot of people and especially young teenagers who just finished school uh, would have that kind of uh, discipline or even, you know, desire to hang on still, you know, uh, to do what you're doing day in and day out. It's a lot of, it's a lot of physical work that you do. You know, it, it's, 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 and it's not glamorous work because it's a lot of crap that you literally clean up every day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, you know, uh, I, I saw a picture that your mom took of herself, you know, in her, you know, in her work, what do you call it? The shit clothes. <laughs> you know, she's got her overalls with all the crap in, you know, the, the special clothes that is all for, just for the crap. Um, you know, so it's it's very it's it's messy work. It's not it's not clean. So you know, for a lot of people who think that you know, oh, I'm gonna be um, just grooming the horses and it's gonna be very nice and pristine, um, they really don't know what they have in if they were to volunteer beyond because you're gonna literally get yourself up into a lot of shit. <laughs> You'll be breathing it in literally. <laughs> yeah, really, it's a glamorous feel riding every day. And I had one of the girls over, she's like, How often do you really ride? I'm like, Um, oh, not that often. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's more the work and being the horse's chef. <laughs> they complain about the service. You were one minute late to feeding me today. How dare you? <laughs> and I'm like, I've, we had, oh, poor Cinch. He's one of our horses here. And he had uh, horrible diarrhea this winter and we're still battling it. And he's on meds and grain supplements. And he had had diarrhea and it froze to his tail. And it was a, just a solid block of frozen poop. And it was below zero weather. And so me and another girl, we had to run out there and we had to take like a warm bucket of water and dunk it in and try and scrape it off with our bare hands freezing cold and then grab microfiber towels and get as much water as we could have so it wasn't a frozen tail again. And just fighting how cold it was because here in Minnesota, we get very cold. Uh, This last winter, I don't remember what our lowest, but the year before we hit negative 50. It gets really freaking cold. And so just racing with that. And I was the, the tail dunker and it's the water, the poop water splashed up into my mouth. And I'm like, yep. And this is what I do for horses. (laughs) And as gross as it is, I love it. Yeah, you're amazing. Uh, you know, I just, I think, uh, wow, your your parents really brought you up well. I mean, the, the fact that you're such an amazing young lady, you're so mature for your age. I mean, like, honestly, talking to you, I don't feel like I'm talking to a teenager, <coughs> you know. <coughs> you're, 
yeah, you're just, you're a very special young lady. Uh, I hope you know that, you know. Um, and I, you know, I think whoever works with you and the horses, they're so blessed to have you. Because, you know, uh, horses are like humans in that sense. You know, they're, they're very picky of who they choose to be with, who they open up to, who they trust, you know. Um, so you are a very special lady for them to, you know, want to trust you. You know, they, they have to be able to read you and, and think that, okay, I'm going to be safe with this, with this person, you know. Uh, and what you do, you know, uh, dunking and, you know, dealing with frozen crap on hails with your bare hands and tasting that crap, you know, as you're trying to like keep them clean and healthy. Um, like I said, not a lot of people want to do that. Not, not a lot of people would would uh, want to go back to that day in and day out. And you've been doing it for at least a year now. That's a, that's a lot of dedication. Yeah. You know, most people, I mean, like I have, you know, when I talk to uh, prospective uh, adopters, you know, especially first time adopters for cats and dogs. And they're like, oh, my, my kid wants to have um, a dog. And I'm like, your kid or you, <laughs> you know, don't, yeah. don't adopt just because your kid wants to, because you have to actually understand what it takes to be a pet parent. So I usually tell them before yeah. you actually think of adopting, um, I usually tell them, go and, go and um, volunteer as a family at an animal shelter. And if you can do that consistently every weekend for a year, you know, and really, you know, like understand what it takes to take care of a dog or a cat, you know, picking up their crap and stuff. Um, then, yeah, you know, come back to me then and, you know, talk about adopting because a lot of times parents, they, they think I'll get a pet for my child and because the child keeps bugging them. And then, you know, with kids, after a while, they lose their, their, their attention span with, a, with, a, with an animal, you know, and they, they just want to play with the animal. They don't want to walk the animal or, you know, pick up the crap or, you know, deal with the, the medication or that. It's the parents who have to do that. So, you know, with you, very, very different, you know. I, I, I listening to you um, talk, you know, even though we have this internet time lag thing going on, but you... You amaze me because you not only do you love the animals, I mean, like, you, your passion shows, man. I mean, you're so dedicated to them. You know, I, I, you know, I see your life and I, your future. It's, you have a lot of possibility, and I'm so excited for you, you know, because there's so many things that, like you said, you can learn and do to, to craft and create the life that you want on your terms. But, you know, I can sort of see, like, wow, you really love horses. I mean, like, you know, it's like a huge part of your life. I think you eat, breathe, sleep, you know, them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is, uh, for as long as I can remember, like being in first grade and kindergarten, what's your favorite animal? A horse. I, uh, I got a pony, a little Shetland pony when I was five years old and I still have her. She's 26 now and she wow. is... She still like looks at me and is like, oh, you. <laughs> like she still puts up a little fight. Sometimes she's like, mm, I kind of want to bite you. And I'm like, please don't. Like all I do is feed you and love you. <laughs> and yes, I and I totally agree with 
what you're saying, like go work at an animal shelter for kids who people are like, oh, my kid wants a dog. Oh, I see that so much. And I love that because everyone's like, oh, I'm going to get a horse and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to be riding every day and doing all this glamorous stuff. And I'm like, I barely ride. <laughs> I'm always doing chores. I'm like, and then of course it gets dark at like 4 p.m. here in the winter. So I'm like, okay, now I'm done with the work day. I don't have any lights or, and we don't have an indoor arena. So it's like, you got to ride in the snow and in the cold, in the dark. <laughs> and it's, it's not glamorous at all, <laughs> but it's, they definitely make it worth it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I gone out there and, uh, when Cass had her baby, she, um, she didn't trust anyone else to touch him. So even my mom, she would not let her touch Kesra. And so he wouldn't, he didn't figure out how to nurse until later. So we, he needed that colostrum very, it was very urgent that he got that colostrum in uh, uh, within a couple hours that they're born, they usually start nursing. And it was like a long, like four or five hours and he still hadn't nursed. And we're like, okay, now we have an issue and he needs to get that colostrum and those antibodies from his, her milk. So, and he would like nurse on her hair and her neck and her belly and just couldn't figure out where her udder was. And even like, she was such a good girl. And so I would have to hold her and I would hold him and I would try and bring him to her udder and be like, you have to drink or like get milk on my hand and like put it in his mouth. And he just didn't figure it out. And of course, no one could help me. Cass would freak out and chase them off if they went near her baby. And so I, I don't, I, I don't know why she bonded to me so well. I mean, I was there when we first got her and when she was in a stall we thought she was going to give birth in November and I would brush her and that she loved that brushing her hair and I definitely was there for that but she definitely chose me to do that and then when so we ended up having the equine vet out and he had to tube the baby and so then and then he figured out how to nurse thankfully a couple hours later and he we did the antibody test and he did get all the necessary ones so he was all healthy and good but then he uh, had some diarrhea and there's a supplement called BioSponge to help solid their, solidify their poop a little more. And I was the only one who could give it to him. So I had to sit in the stall, no one could enter. So I was holding the mom again. And then I would have to give him oral medicine, which oral meds are not easy to get into any horse, especially a squirmy little baby. And so I had to do it all by myself, but I'm like, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm like, I don't remember the last time I ate or drink water, but the horses are good. That's all that matters. They come first. <laughs> um, you know, you have a Facebook um, page called uh, Beyond the Lens. And yes. it, um, again, blew my mind that you were the photographer behind Beyond Sanctuary. Because, you know, we'll see all these amazing photographs. And... Um, until I think your mom said it was you doing it, you know, I honestly, I would have thunk, seriously, you know, that, that you, have, you have this other side, this talent to you, this creative side. Um, and you're just using what, your handphone? Or you're using a special camera? Uh, I mean, what, you know, what do you use? I have a camera also. 
Uh, usually it's my phone because I don't carry my camera around and I'm like, oh, this is a great angle. But I do have a nice camera that I've used in like Cass's maternity pictures and certain ones like that. I've used my camera, but otherwise I'm like, oh, it's a great spot with the sun and they're in a perfect pose without the phone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what amazes me is the photos that you take they are very, they tell a story on its own, you know, how you, how you compose and, and frame it. Um, and I remember there's this one photo you took of um, the side, the rib of the horse. It was in, I think, like black and white kind of um, thing. Um, wow. And you're only 18 years old and you took that. <laughs> You know, um, that was that was crazy. So I don't do any editing on my uh, pictures. So I, unless it's like a very obvious filter, and even that black and white one, I didn't do a filter. My phone glitched and took that picture. I didn't wow. even. I don't edit. I'm not really techy or anything. But I was just thinking around. I was like, oh, this. It was so sad. And that was Luna. She's a Frisian mare that we took from a neglect case, and she was. Um, surrendered to us and she's just so sweet oh my gosh everyone just loves her and i was like oh wow i just need to take a picture and my phone glitched and did that and i was like oh my gosh it's like i was like wow and and i there is a picture in black and white i will usually i have to put that filter but i was like oh my gosh i didn't even have to for that one it was that was an amazing picture and whenever i take a picture i always i want to capture that feeling behind it like you can look at any pretty picture and be like oh that's pretty but I'm like I want to have that feeling behind it and that's what I always try to incorporate with my photos yeah I mean that's why I said you know you're, you're a very special young lady because the photos that you take um they're very mature you know it's it's it takes a certain person to compose and think and to convey a certain feeling, you know, um, you know, a certain feeling for for photo shoot, and I'm just amazed that it's you who's doing it. You know, um, again, like I said, it blows my mind that you're only 18 years old and you're so talented. You know, you you really are. Um, I think your your parents must be so chuffed they have you. You know, you. <laughs> You're not a difficult child in any sense of the, you know, the traditional sense of the word, you know, you're not, you're, you're not a troublemaker. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I, oh, I just think, you know, it's, it's amazing, um, you know, being brought up by such a, you know, um, open-minded parents that you have because your parents have to be very open-minded and non-conventional to have very special children, you know, like you and your brother to, to, to be able to give you that, you know, freedom to express yourself without worry of, you know, being um, put down by them. Cause you know, like kids, usually they'll say something and then your you know, parents will say, Oh, shut up. You know, don't, don't do that. Don't, you know, um, you know, they, they'll just tell you to like, you know, um, 
it's nonsense what you're thinking or you know forget about it they'll you know they'll dismiss you very easily but it seems it seems to me that your parents take you guys very seriously like you know they actually take your feedback they don't just uh, make fun of you guys they actually listen to what you're saying to to help you grow you know uh I I just like I said I'm amazed at how you crafted your life at you know at 15 14 15 you know 16 17 18 yeah very you know like you decided at a very young age that you had enough of the conventional system and you wanted to change and you're so proactive in your pursuit of self-learning you know self-improvement you know, every day you're, you're, you're doing something to improve yourself and challenge yourself. Um, it really takes a, a very special person. And I'm just in awe, you know, that, that you know, uh, you are who you are, man. It's just amazing. I think, I think, you know, your parents really brought you up very well. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I I really am. I I. Yeah, it was, it was oh very my. different growing up from my and going over and I'd be like, "What? You guys don't just like talk about what surgeries happened today? Like, what? You don't just bring that stuff up? Oh, I neutered a dog, <laughs> and I've never been squeamish about that stuff either. It's just so natural. And I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, wow, I did not. Like, yeah, growing up around my childhood friends, I was like, wow, I, I had a different, very different childhood growing up with everything was very real. And yes, my parents definitely, they took my brother and I's opinions on stuff and they always asked us. And that was so, I really, I'm now that I'm old enough to appreciate it and I won't say it to my mom's face, but she was a really good mom, mom in that way of just, she really prepared me for life, like, I meet so many kids who just, they don't have the certain coping skills. And I'm like, I just learned it from such a young age and just watching her and how she's done her businesses. And she's always never lied or anything. She's always been so real about stuff and the, the ups, the downs, it's part of life. It's normal. It's natural. And it was just such a, it was really, it really shaped who I am. And I'm so thankful that I lived the life I did. Thank you for listening to Raimi's story. Look out for Gary Tashjian, founder of Darwin's Natural Pet Products, interview next week. Wow, I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.